Hi, I'm Scotty. Some of my favorite memories from college involve Baylor football. And many of these memories are highlighted by the banter that came along with the territory. Yeah, it's the banter amongst friends that makes sports fun, and that's exactly what I'm here to bring to you. Welcome to the Please Bear With Me podcast. This is the Please Bear With Me podcast. I'm Scotty Swingler. Wherever you are, whoever you are, thank you for tuning in to this week's Baylor football banter. If you listened last week, you heard me rant about why Baylor fans need to stop mentioning Art Bryles when talking about this current team and its success. I have received extremely positive reaction concerning that portion of last week's show, and for that, I just wanted to start by saying thank you. I hope that you also enjoyed the conversation with Sheehan Jayaraja of DieHards.com. Today, you'll hear my conversation with Tim Watkins of Bears Illustrated on Scout.com. Tim has a great eye for the game and will provide us with some great insight into both the positives and the negatives to take away from Saturday's loss at the hands of the Duke Blue Devils. Before we get into that conversation with Tim, I want to start with the good, the bad, and the ugly from the Duke game. The good. Baylor's front seven. After generating no strong pressure against Liberty and giving up 98 yards rushing to UTSA quarterback Dalton Sturm, Baylor's defense woke up, garnering five sacks and 12 tackles for loss against a very good Duke offensive line and quarterback in Daniel Jones. Special shout outs to my preseason impact player Eric O'Gore and Baylor's leading tackler Clay Johnston, who both flew around like madmen, making plays all over the place. I think we're starting to see that Phil Snow's defense has the potential to be great once the right pieces are in place. I'm extremely excited about the progress that's been made, especially by the defensive front seven. If we can continue pressuring quarterbacks like we did Saturday, we'll be in much better shape moving forward. And a special honorable mention shout out to both Chris Platt and Drew Galitz, the Ray Guy Award punter of the week. I almost gave both of them the good this week after they both had great performances as well. The bad. The lack of rotation at receiver. Tim Watkins will talk in a little bit about the way the targets were spread so unevenly, but listen, it looks like we don't want to throw the ball to anyone not named Platt or Mims. This has been agitating me since week one. Part of what made the Bryles offense so dynamic is that you never knew where the ball was going. There would regularly be 8-10 to 10 guys a game catching a pass, and there were always 4 or 5 guys capable of pulling off the big play. We look desperate to get Platt or Mims going, and it's way too easy for defenses to hone in and lock them down. 
And Tony Nicholson is a fast man with bricks for hands. I want to see more Pooh Strickland, first of all. I also want to see more Gavin Holmes, more R.J. Sneed, and hopefully with the return of Jordan Furbacher, some tight ends getting targets. With the return of Grayland Arnold this week, let's get Blake Lynch back in the slot to help with the short and intermediate passing game. The quote playmakers on offense aren't making plays right now outside of Chris Platt, and he can't do it alone. I want to see us spread the ball around. Terrence Williams at running back should help tremendously with this in the coming weeks. Honorable mention for the bad goes to Zach Smith, who had four turnovers and only completed 35% of his passes. He is starting again against Oklahoma, and he has got to make some better decisions. The ugly. The offensive line. Gosh, y'all. Especially once Ishmael Wilson left the game with an injury, that line collapsed. The running game was abysmal as the line got no push off the ball and Smith was pressured all day long. We knew coming into this season that there was no depth on the offensive line, but now we're seeing that even the starting unit is going to struggle through this year. You can't really be mad at anyone in particular. Blake Blackmar and Mo Porter are solid, experienced guys. Sam Tecklenburg was playing tight end until recently, and Ryan Miller is a true freshman. So whether it's simply just a lack of talent or a poor game plan, the offensive line will be the Achilles heel of this team going forward into the foreseeable future. I certainly hope that, like the defense, we see some big steps of improvement moving forward. But for right now, it's looking pretty dicey up front. And that is the good, the bad, and the ugly. I got an email last week from Delane, who is a friend of mine listening to the podcast all the way up in New York City. She's a Baylor grad. She mentioned that maybe we as fans should expect a learning curve, not only from the players on this squad, but from the coaching staff as well. While we've all come to recognize the learning curve that the players will be navigating under the new regime, perhaps it's time we recognize that the new regime is going through a learning curve as well. She mentioned that Matt Rule and company are going to be learning how to coach here, as well as the players learning how to play under them. And I think Delane is right. Especially as Big 12 play begins, let's be patient with this coaching staff. This season, they are going to learn how teams in the Big 12 operate. They're going to learn about the stadium atmospheres around the league, and they'll adjust accordingly to the way football is played here. Delane makes a good point. Sometimes it's a lot easier to be critical of coaching than the players when things fall flat, but let's give these coaches the benefit of the doubt as they adjust and learn how to scheme and game plan for Big 12 football. If you have any thoughts that you'd like to contribute to the podcast, please email me at scottswingler, S-C-O-T-T-S-W-I-N-G-L-E-R, at gmail.com, or contact me on Twitter at bear underscore podcast i would love to engage your opinion on the show in another update requested by an emailer let's continue our bears in the nfl overview last week we talked about dallas cowboys wide receiver terrence williams who had four catches for 17 yards yesterday in what was a really rough outing for dallas 
Today, I wanted to mention John Weeks, a former long snapper for the Baylor Bears who has been the Houston Texans long snapper since 2010. The one-time Pro Bowler garnered a tackle on Thursday night and looks to be the Texans long snapper moving forward into the foreseeable future. He's had a very successful career at an undervalued position in the NFL. Another note for this week. Baylor's Bolitnikoff winner and 2016 first-round pick Corey Coleman broke his right hand for the second season in a row on Sunday. It's not known yet how long he'll be out or if the injury will require surgery, but he was out for six weeks last year with something similar. This breaks my heart for Corey, who has proven that he can make big plays in the NFL, but is struggling to stay on the field due to injuries since being drafted. I really hope Corey has a quick recovery and can get back on the field and remain healthy going forward for his career. Again, if you want to be part of the podcast or have a segment that you want to hear me do, email me or contact me on Twitter. A thought for you on today's episode, and it comes in the form of a story. I have a part-time position as a manager at the Texas Roadhouse in Waco. On Saturday night, I was managing the floor when a Baylor football player walked in with his girlfriend. For his privacy's sake, I won't share who the player is, but I will tell you he's a starter, and he's a very good football player for Baylor. He was still in his travel attire, suit and tie, and it was clear that he had just gotten off the plane from Durham after the Duke game. A few minutes after he was set down at a table, I approached him, shaking his hand, and I simply said this, Hey man, I want you to know that I see your hard work and I appreciate it, and I am behind you, and I know that Baylor Nation is behind you. This player looked up at me with sincere appreciation in his eyes, and his reply really, really shocked me and made me really sad. He said, Really? You're not just saying that? As we talked further, I realized that this player senses the anger and the frustration coming from Baylor fans as the team is now 0-3 and has lost games all the way back to the tragic Texas loss in Austin last year outside of that bowl game, right? This player feels pressured. He feels like he's letting people down. He feels like people are just nasty and against him and the team. And he was genuinely emotional when I told him Anybody with a brain in their head knows that you are going through some transition, that you guys have been put through some rough stuff, and I know you are busting your butt and working hard, and I'm proud of you. And he sincerely looked up at me with some emotion and with some gratitude and shook my hand and said, thank you, I needed to hear that. That means a lot. I posted this story in the form of a note that I put on Twitter and Facebook, and it's kind of blown up in the past 24 hours. And I'm glad for that, and that's cool, but sincerely, I want to emphasize, let's support these guys. Let's rally behind these guys. At the end of the day, these are just really big, fast, talented kids 
They're 18 to 22 years old. They're playing without getting paid for it. They're playing just for the opportunity to play football and go to school. And sometimes I think we have a tendency to criticize them like they're pro athletes, and they're not. I fall into this sometimes, and I'll admit I went back through my Twitter timeline from the Liberty game and deleted a couple of tweets because I was too harsh on a couple of guys individually. It's okay to criticize a team's play. That's part of what the sports media and what we as fans do. We expect our teams to win. And believe me, like I've said in the past, I am just as frustrated as any of you that were 0-3. I love seeing Baylor be successful and win on the football field. But these kids don't deserve our harsh criticism. These kids deserve our praise. These guys work hard. They are giving maximum effort on the field, despite what the record indicates. These guys are fighting for each other, and they're fighting to represent our beloved university well. And for that, they deserve our admiration and our respect. I want to apologize if any individual player has felt overly criticized or been hurt by anything I've said as a passionate fan of the game. And I hope all the Baylor football team, coaches, staff, and especially those players know that I'm behind them and that I'm rooting for them. I will be there Saturday for the Oklahoma game and I will be cheering just as loud as ever, believing and hoping we can get a victory against the number two team in the nation. And that's how we should be, y'all. We should be supportive, energetic, excited, and rally behind these guys regardless of the record because they're working hard, and it takes time to build something great under a brand new system, a brand new regime, and a brand new staff. My conversation with this starting player really impacted me and I hope it means something to you and I hope you realize that these guys just want us to have their backs and going forward I think we can do that better and I think we should do it better let's sure let's talk let's discuss how can the team improve how can this player play better those kind of things that's part of being in sports and I think those athletes know that but let's watch our words and let's make sure that first and foremost these Baylor football players know that regardless of the outcome at the end of the day, their Baylor family, alumni, fans, supporters, love them and are behind them, and we are proud of them. Hey, Baylor football, I'm proud of you. Tim Watkins is a publisher for Bears Illustrated of Scout.com, and he now joins me for this week's conversation. First things first, let's look on the bright side. What are the biggest positives you took away from this Duke game on Saturday? I think there we started to see growth on both sides of the ball at key positions, primarily on defense. You know, looking at... There's really three guys that I talked about in my recap um, on BearsIllustrated.com, and they're all sophomores, and all of them took big leaps from game one to game two and now game three. Those three are Clay Johnston, Eric Ogor, and Blake Lynch. Uh, all three of them, you're starting to see them get it. They're starting to have more and more moments where they're making impactful plays. They're in the right spot to make those plays. And then their, their tremendous athleticism is allowing them to make those plays. I think, uh, 
Clay had 13 tackles, something like that. 13 tackles, three for loss. He had two quarterback hurries. He had a sack. I can't even begin to count the amount of third down tackles he had in the open field with either, either, uh, Raming, their wide receiver, who was very, very shifty, Lewis, um, who, their running back, who we saw juke a couple of people out of their pants, including Davion Hall. Um, you know, Clay Johnson is, is the biggest news to me. He's been the Bears best player on either side of the ball, and he's only a sophomore. I think that's very, very cool. Eric Ogor, um, Another guy, he didn't really play much in game one. He played a little bit in game two. He was the Bears' second best player easily on either side of the ball yesterday. Um, he really made plays. And it, it's funny, uh, Jim Grobe and the previous staff, uh, he had some attitude problems. So he had to sit out last year. He was, he was suspended and kicked off the team for a year. Um, hopefully off the field, he's cleared that up. Hopefully he's taking care of what he needs to do, but. Quite honestly, I absolutely love the attitude, the aggression, the tenacity that he's displaying on the field. And yeah, it might only be for 20 to 30 to 40 snaps right now because he's still very, very raw. But all of those snaps, he's making tremendous impact. And Baylor needs guys like that now to be able to go out on the field, make a play, make a hit. He forced a couple of fumbles that, that were very, very close to actually being fumbles. He, he, he was all over the field, loved what I saw from him. And the third guy, you know, Blake Lynch, uh, still learning how to be a cornerback. And Duke has some very good athletes on the outside. He manned up on TJ Roming quite a bit, held him to, I think he really didn't do that much. Really, the Duke passing game really didn't do that much. Roming had four catches for 38 yards. Their leading receiver had five catches for 32. Their running, and both of their running backs had five for 32, and then the Brown kid had four for 71. Their receivers, seven total catches. The cornerbacks played good. Yesterday, and you're looking at a sophomore in Jamison Houston, you're looking at a freshman in Harrison Hand, you're looking at a sophomore in Blake Lynch. So I, I think, especially defensively, we saw a lot of things to be happy with. On the offensive offensive side of the ball, you have to squint your eyes a little bit more. Um, they weren't good. They they just weren't. Uh, outside of three big plays, you take away those three big plays, they averaged 2.1 yards per play. That's ridiculous. That's atrocious. That's three and out. That's four and out. You can't even get a first down on four straight plays on 2.1 yards per play. Zach Smith was 12 for 34. He had those three great touchdown passes, but outside of that, he struggled. And two, he wasn't finding open two of those picks were ugly. They were bad, and, and I got ripped apart. I tweeted during the game after after Smith threw that, that – uh, that, just awful out route that was a run back for a pick six when Baylor had it for 24, 21. And I tweeted out is that throw and the previous interception where he went over the middle and he shouldn't have. Those are the reasons why a new Solomon was chosen as a starter. And look, I got lambasted by a lot of Baylor fans saying I knew it has been terrible. He threw the same exact interception against Liberty, which I, I got tired of saying how wrong that was. Um, First off, the read that a new Solomon did was correct. He had single man coverage high up. The cornerback was playing up. When somebody is playing up on you, you have to trust your receiver to break that, get inside, yep. and make the play on a simple inside slant route. You Did you watch the Texas-USC game? 
Yes. The the interception on the goal line there was the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Exact same exact play. same play. It's not on the quarterback. Darnold ripped that receiver apart. He should have. Yeah. He should have absolutely ripped the receiver apart. And you know what? Denzel Mim was at fault for that interception. And you know what? When I was watching in the stadium, I was actually brought my, my five-year-old son down the stadium. I wasn't wearing my press hat or anything. I always try and take my, my boy down for one game a year, just me and him. We sit in the stands. We, we eat way too much sugar. It's great. And my wife loves it when I bring him home all hopped up on every type of sugar known to man. So I was watching that play, and we were walking around the end zone, and I was upset. I thought it was a terrible read at first. But when I went home and watched it, he made the right play. It was the right play. Denzel Mims didn't get in front of the receiver and protected his quarterback. He didn't fight for the ball. He didn't fight for position. The interception that Smith threw, it it wasn't a great play design. It wasn't a great play call. I don't like those kind of plays. But the read was wrong. He went to the weak side of the field or the, the short side of the field that was strong side. He read it with four defenders all in that area on a simple five yard out. The zone was meant for that play to be taken fully away. That is exactly what that linebacker is supposed to do. That and Smith stared him down. He just got the ball. He stared at him. No other options in his mind. So it was a bad read. It was a late throw and he stared him down. You can't do that. You simply can't do that. And look, Smith, I really, really like him. He does a lot of good things. He has a great arm. He has poise in the pocket. I even think he showed a little bit more athleticism than most Baylor fans thought. I still think he's the guy. But the reasons why a new Solomon was chosen as a starting quarterback were evident yesterday. Smith had four turnovers. One of which, the, the 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 interception deep in Baylor territory, where um, I believe it was Gavin Holmes just got destroyed in the back and the ball popped up. I mean, he, that that was nobody's fault. That was a tremendous play by the defensive. That was that was great defense. Tip your cap, go to the next play. The other two interceptions, those were on Smith. The fumble, I think he padded the ball too long and he 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 should have gotten the ball quicker. He didn't read his protection well, and that might be on the offensive line as well, and the offensive line didn't block well. So I'll give him half the blame there. Anu Solomon has two interceptions on the year, one of which, and Rule has said this, was not his fault. The other which was was a bad decision. He threw across his body into traffic against UTSA. You can't do that. You can't do that. Those were that, that second interception against UTSA, or the one interception, that was as bad as either of Zach Smith's interceptions or turnovers yesterday. I'm not going to argue that. I'm just saying that those are the reasons why Solomon was chosen as a starter. But Smith showed some things. He has poise. He has arms. There's there's major, major gaps in this offense and what they want to do. And I'm writing a column on it, so I hope all your listeners will read it, hopefully on Monday. And it's looking at the ways that Baylor wants to run their offense and their defense and why critical components just aren't there from either a talent standpoint, a depth standpoint, or like a tight end and running back where injuries have decimated them and we don't have any bodies. I haven't been able to rewatch the game yet, but did you notice a tight end do anything? Nope. I I didn't see anything. And, and going into this season, a lot of experts uh, really were analyzing the Oregon offense and what they do. A tight end is critical in that offense. Right. We haven't even targeted a tight end outside of Ish Wainwright on the failed fourth down um, against UTSA, and that technically wasn't a target because I knew Solomon tucked the ball and didn't throw it. 
We haven't spent, sent a single pass at a tight end through three games. We don't have enough talent there yet. We don't have the right personnel yet. Jordan Fearbacher, I think, can be a good job, but he's still more of a blocking guy. Ish Wainwright's a power forward. <laughs> uh, we don't have the personnel yet. This is supposed to be a run-heavy offense that runs power back. We have a 200-pound 18-year-old as our starting running back, and behind him is a 230-pound freshman walk-on. We don't have the personnel to run a run-first offense. You know, we don't have the personnel to run the complicated route tree at the outside wide receiver position. Denzel Mim and Chris Platt are still limited in their route trees. So the offense is really handicapped by what they want to be doing. Defensively, there's really three positions that they have to have be studs. Rush defensive end, the strong side linebacker, and strong safety. Brian Nance was previously starting. Now it's Deontay Williams at rush end. Both of them have had minimal impact, even though Nance had two nice sacks against Duke. Strong side linebackers, Jalen Pitry, who's a true freshman, and is quite honestly, he's struggling. He's struggling with the physicality in the run game. He's he's solid in coverage, um, but he he drops too far in his zones at times, especially I noticed on like second and third and eight, he would drop past the sticks. And be reacting to the ball. Guy catches it six yards, turns around, takes four steps. It's a first down. Too many times that's happening. The third stop spot is strong safety. You know, uh, we had Jaron McVeigh starting the first game there. We had, we had Chris Miller starting back there. He's struggled. Davion Hall, um, who had his jock ripped off by, uh, Duke's running back Wilson and on his two long touchdown plays. Even though outside of that, I thought Hall had a nice game. But he had two mistakes that simply put, you can't make. And he's a senior in eligibility, yeah, but he's been playing safety for a year and a half. So the Bears at the three most critical position on defense that Baylor's defense and Phil Stowe needs to have studs at, those are the three weakest spots. I've been rambling a lot. Do you have another question? Because I I feel like I'm just just venting because I haven't had a podcast in a year. No, that's great. <laughs> I, I'm happy to hear it. That's a lot of good insight. And it, you, it, what's funny is just because we watched the same game, you hit a bunch of the points I was going to ask you about. So let's let's zero in on a couple of the specifics. First of mm-hmm. all, um, let's look offense because I think we can agree that is, even, despite what the Liberty game might have convinced people of, the offense is certainly the weaker unit. Yeah. So correct. So you talked about being limited at receiver. It has been frustrating me for all three weeks now that this coaching staff seems stubbornly committed to the three guys they're trotting out there in Platt, Nicholson, and Mims. I like all of them for different reasons. Platt in particular has been balling out and I think is, is showing a lot of guts. I don't like Denzel Mims, despite what a lot of people say um, as of yet. He drops... Too many balls. We talked about the mistake on the pick. I just haven't seen anything that makes me believe he's elite. And I think Tony Nicholson is fast. And outside of that, I don't know what you expect from him. Um, is this is this really a lack of depth or is this a coaching stubbornness? Because I, I feel like you can put more R.J. Sneed, Gavin Holmes. And I know you talked about Blake Lynch improving as a corner, but I think Blake Lynch might be the best wide receiver on this team if we put him over there. So... Um, is, is this something that can be fixed just by giving a couple? Oh, and Pooh Strickland, Pooh Strickland might be the best receiver on the team, if you're just talking in terms of hands and, and consistency. So, 
is this something that you think can be fixed this year, or are they just waiting for more depth in the years to come? Why why are we seeing these same three guys get targeted when it's not working? I, I think that's a very interesting point, and I think we started to see a little bit more of R.J. Snead and Gavin Holmes against Duke. Both of them had their first career touched, our uh, f- first career receptions. Tristan Ebner also had his first career reception. Baylor uh, spread out the targets a little bit more, even though Chris Platt still had 11. Tony Nicholson and Denzel Mims had six. Everybody else. R.J. Snead, Ebner, Pustrickland, John Lovett only had a single uh, a single target. Um, I think Chris Platt is the Bears' best receiver from a, a weapon standpoint. The the problem is, and and I was as high on anybody as Tony Nicholson that was humanly possible. I I thought he was going to be the guy to really dominate underneath, dominate on those short routes within 8 to 12 to 15 yards, sit in a zone, do a crossing pattern, do the quick slants, take advantage of safeties, linebackers that are pulling out, uh, pulling outside and trying to cover him one-on-one. Quite honestly, Nicholson just, he hasn't been very good. He just hasn't been very good. He's not steady. He's a return guy. He is. And, and I, I saw, I, I think electrically, athletically, he's one of the best athletes on the team. Just an electric guy with his ball, uh, with the, the the ball in his hands. He's he's able to make plays. I love that we involve him in the running game. I'm I'm disappointed that we didn't see that against Duke. Getting you know, Platt had one carry for for minus one yard. Lynch even had a little wildcat appearance, uh, which we had heard rumors about. But even then, I didn't like when they did that. They were I think pinned inside their own 15 yard line. They have Lynch come and, and do a wildcat. It didn't, it didn't make sense. Um, I think what this Baylor staff wants to do is they want to be able to, to trust guys to run the right routes. Um, I think Mims does a better than average job at that. He's not great at winning one-on-one battles. He still struggles in press situations. But again, he played so little last year and is still just a true sophomore. He's young. Nicholson, same thing. He's really, this is his first opportunity at wide receiver. Which is all the more reason I ask, why not Pooh Strickland? Why not Blake Lynch? Because, I mean, those guys, those guys mm-hmm. contributed last year. Those guys made they big did. plays last year. They did. And Lynch... Lynch is, is, is really last year was used as that inside receiver, the guy to get those tough yards in, in between the hashes, uh, sitting down in a zone, doing a crossing pattern. And, and 100%, that has been the Bears' biggest weakness in the passing game. They have nothing over the middle. They have no ability to get five yards or eight yards or 10 yards. It's either all down the field, a deep slant, a deep post, a go route. There's no intermediate passing game. And Blake Lynch is, that is his strength. Now, this is a staff that has decided that they're going to put their best athletes on defense, right or wrong or indifferent. That is a significant change than what the previous staff has done. I have no doubt that if Blake Lynch was recruited by Matt Rule, um, that he would have started off as a safety or, or, or a cornerback. He would not have been started on the offensive side of the ball. I think Davion Hall, the same thing. I think that's one of the reasons why they looked at Chris Platt to play cornerback as well. We haven't seen that yet. And I think the the ability of Holmes, the ability of Sneed to kind of step in has been has been overlooked. They just haven't been able to fill those roles as good as the other guys on the staff. Now, if 
it's it's funny we're 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 having a conversation about a staff that is really set in the future, building a foundation, saying the future, and yet they're refusing to replace the sophomores and juniors with freshmen. So it's it's hand in hand a a, a difference. So to me, that makes it clear that those guys just aren't ready to fill the multiple roles that they need the wide receivers to do. That's not to say that the the Platt, Nicholson, and Mims are doing it great. Maybe they're just doing it better than what we would see out of Sneed and Holmes at this point. Strickland, I have no idea. I think he's completely underutilized. I, I, I'd love to see him get at least five targets and see what he do, does. I can't defend that one at all. I, yeah. And here's, here's the other thing um, about this offense that you hit that I think it, we're going to see a jump. Uh, my favorite player on this Baylor team it comes back Saturday, and that's mm-hmm. that's big number twenty two. Um, Terrence Williams, can you? It's kind of kind of sucky that he's coming back against Oklahoma, you know. But yeah. but how much do you think he helps this offense? Because man, that that was what was so frustrating to me was um, like you said, it's either throw a bomb or hand it off. There's not a lot of short intermediate passing game, and like you said, these two running backs that we have. A lot of potential, a lot of talent. They're 18 years old. How much mm-hmm. does Terrence Williams just being able to put his head down and get three or four on first down help this offense? It's it's critical. This entire offense is built to control the clock. It is built to dominate on third down, um, and they just they just can't. Against Duke, they averaged 2.1 yards per play on first down. On 24 first down plays, they gained 50 yards. They were two of eight passing. They had a one sack for negative seven yards. They gained, uh, I think it was 15 rushes for 48 yards. So they actually ran a little bit better on first down, 3.2 yards per carry. Uh, fortunately, most of that was on the first run of the game where John, uh, where uh, Drew Dixon gained 17 yards. Um, Drew Dixon had a 17-yard run. Zach Smith, late, I think in the second quarter, had a 17-yard run as well. You take away those 34 yards. Baylor had 27 carries yesterday for 57 yards total. You take away those 34 yards. They had 25 carries for 23 yards. The, the, the run game was just atrocious yesterday and the blocking wasn't great. The, the, but John Lovett and Drew Dixon aren't men. Terrence Williams is a man. Terrence Williams is 21 years old. He's 220 pounds. He knows the cutback lanes to look at. He knows how to get the tough yard. We've had so many third and fourth and one or short that we have failed on because we run out there with a two tight end fullback eye formation set and we have a 190, 200 pound, 18 year old guy running behind a line that's getting pushed back. Terrence Williams picks a couple of those up. And, and honestly, I think we win at least one, maybe both, of Liberty and UTSA with Terrence Williams with 20 carries. I think he's the Bears' best offensive player. I completely agree with you. He's a man. He's going to be able to get those yards. He's not going to average two yards a carry, even with the offensive line blocking poorly, even against OU. I think he gets 10, 15 carries. I don't think they're going to max him out. I liked that the Bears weren't putting everything on Lovett. I'm interested why Ebner hasn't gotten any carries and why they haven't diversified the offense a little bit when the run game. That's really been one of my bigger disappointments um, for how they've been designing the offense in the run game. You know, the last 
six years, there were really only about two or three run plays that the Bears ran. It was a very simplistic running attack. Not a lot has changed. There's not a lot of nuance. There's not a lot of wrinkles yet. We're starting to see a couple of those, um, but some counters, some traps, some pitches. Uh, uh, John Lovett had his best run of the day yesterday on a beautifully designed uh, a counter where where um, everybody went right, even even Lovett, even Smith, and then both Smith and Lovett pivoted left, and it was a pitch left, and I think uh, Lovett had 15 yards on that carry. We haven't done enough of that. We haven't done enough of those things because everybody's loading up on and judging where the fullback, where the tight end is going, where the line is, is going. They're reading our, our offense so well right now. We need to have more of those, those reverses, those counters, those trap plays, the things that get the defense off the hook, off their heels a little bit. Cause right now they're just running right at the holes and guessing. Um, so Terrence Williams will be able to do a lot more of those things. I don't know if. They'll be able to to run more of those those play designs with him because he's significantly more experienced. But I'm excited to see. I, I want to see the offense still evolve. Everybody forgets what the Browns offense was the first couple of years. It wasn't the finished product yet. We're not seeing the finished product yet. I have some question marks about the play calling and and how Coach Nixon is organizing his game plan and how he's adjusting and how he's setting things up. But again, he's a young play caller. He's never been a play caller. He was a tight ends and running back coach in the NFL for a long time, most recently with the San Francisco 49ers. This is really his first go around as a play caller. He's learning some lessons right now. There's going to be a lot of people wanting um, uh, the quarterback coach, Glenn Thompson, Thompson, Thomas or Thompson? I think Thomas. Thomas uh, to take over because he's significantly more proven. He's more proven in what Rule did at Temple, which is not the same for what he wants to do at Baylor. He isn't from the Oregon coaching tree. Nixon is. So I, I think you have to have more patience because this offense is still evolving into what it will be. It's not a finished product yet. And I think they're still trying to find out their identity. And that identity is very difficult when you don't have any single tight ends. You have two 18-year-olds as, as your running backs and you want to run a pro-style offense. It depends on your running backs and it depends on your tight ends. This is an area where we might disagree, but I want to hear your thoughts. You said... You were being uh, a little bit critical of Zach Smith's decision-making in particular, and then you said, I still think he's the guy. <clears throat> I've never bought Zach Smith as the guy. I think he's a, he's a big guy with a big arm, and I think he showed a lot of guts last year the way he stepped up and played. I just don't think he's that great. Um, so I was, I was really excited for Anu Solomon. Things happened. <clears throat> Charlie Brewer, and I know it might just be because he's the other guy on the bench that we haven't seen in a game. Yep. But his potential as a, I almost see him as a as a faster, more accurate Nick Florence in that he, mm-hmm. he's gutsy, he's tough, he's kind of undersized, but he's going to run by you and he's going to do whatever it takes to pick up the first down. Is there any chance he gets a go if, if Smith has another couple of rough outings? And what would you expect for him? Honestly, one of the biggest happy points coming out of that game yesterday was that Brewer didn't have to play. I want to redshirt him. I think he needs that development. Um, yeah, I love him though. I, I think he's going to be the guy in the future. I'd love to see him be the guy in two years, not this year or next year. Um, I think 
there's still some arm strength that he needs to improve on. I still think he, he can learn to set up with his eyes. There, there's a lot of nuances from the quarterback position. And we saw some of that from Smith on, I think it was the second touchdown pass, or no, the first touchdown pass to Chris Platt, where he threw it perfectly through a tight window. He pump faked. He looked his receiver or looked the safeties off. He's, he's doing those things. I don't know if. Charlie Brewer is ready to do that at the collegiate level yet. I want to see him develop those. Saying that, you know, when when we were going through the recruiting process with him and even before Baylor offered and he was committed to SMU, talking to, to guys that I trust in the scouting community, both at scout.com, 247 Rivals, all of them, um, they said they remind him of a slightly uh, less a-hole version of Baker Mayfield. <laughs> which I would take. I would take. And even though Baker, I've heard that comparison a lot. I, I think your Nick Florence comparison is probably more apt. I think it right sizes the expectations better. I think his ceiling is maybe a poor man's version, Baker Mayfield, um, with maybe a little less athleticism, a little less magic, a little less, less a-hole. Um, because let's just be honest, Baker's a little bit of an a-hole and that's part of his game. That's what he wants to do. That, that, that drives him. And it's not an insult. It's a fact. Um, you know, I think Eric Ogor is an a-hole. We need that. You know, you have to have that a little bit. You have to have that edge. Baker Mayfield provides it from the quarterback position for OU and for tech previously. Uh, I don't think Charlie Brewer is that guy. Uh, but it's, it's it's interesting. Brewer is tremendously accurate. He 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 has a great feel for the game. I just want to see him after a year or two just to make sure that we don't ruin him. I think that a new Solomon is going to start next week. Nobody said anything. I'm not hearing any sources on that yet. I think Solomon's going to be the guy next week for Oklahoma. I think he's being put out there as the sacrificial lamb a little bit. Um and he has a little bit more mobility to survive those hits and avoid some of those hits, which I think is critical. Um, we don't want to destroy Charlie Brewer behind this offensive line. I don't want to hurt him. I, I want him, I want to protect him in, 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 in just a little bubble wrap and, and make sure he's okay. Because I think in two years, looking at those three sophomores I was talking about earlier on defense and all of the freshmen and sophomore across the team, in two years, Zach Smith or Charlie Brewer is going to be the quarterback to what I think could be a pretty interesting team um, if the foundation is set properly and, and if the foundation is the right foundation for success for Baylor in the Big 12. And I think, honestly, there's still questions about that. You know, this foundation might have some cracks in it, might have some faulty plumbing in it. We don't know. What will, what will result in it is what goes on top of that foundation. Is it a shack or is it a... A little mini mansion in Dallas. You know, we don't know yet. And that's that's the exciting part. That's the scary part. People are screaming for people to be fired, for rules of joke, comparing them to Kevin Steele. I, I've heard enough of it. It's too early for either way to go. Simply put is we've lost three games. Yes, that sucks. It's not what any of us, you included, me included, envisioned heading into this year. Right. Saying that, we've had the ball in the fourth quarter with a chance to go ahead in all three games. We haven't gotten blown out. And yes, it's Liberty. It's UTSA. 
Liberty's not a great team. They're, they might be a top 25 FCS team. UTSA, I think, is a pretty good team. They're probably a top 40 to 50 team. Duke, I think, is actually going to be a top 25 team at the end of the year. I think they're going to win eight or nine games this year. They're not going to win the ACC with Clemson and Florida State, Miami, and guys like that. But don't be surprised if you look up and Duke is actually receiving votes or is in the top 25 in the next week or two. I haven't looked at their full schedule. But they're 3-0. and They destroyed Northwestern 41-17. to they didn't destroy Baylor yesterday. They had a pick six and a field goal set up off of turnovers to turn a four-point game into a 14-point game. Baylor was in that game. That's a moral victory. It's awful. I just, I guess I'm set up for this because my four years at Baylor were from 2000-2004. We won 10 football games in my four years. I believe you experienced more than 10 wins in a season. <laughs> Twice as a student, yeah. Twice. I had 10 <laughs> wins over four years. Right. I, I I have a lot of Aggie friends, unfortunately, unfortunately, and, and they were giving me noise about, about the loss, especially to Deliberty. This is obviously... Well, this was before UCLA, so they were still happy and 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 still uh, marooned out. And um, I just said, look, you know, I'm back in my happy places. I've got more experience with Barrettler being awful at football than I have with them being a juggernaut in a powerhouse and winning Big 12 titles. I'm actually a little bit more in my comfort zone in a building process. I'm used to this. I'm back home, unfortunately. Um, but it, I think that Rule deserves... He's going to get three years at least. Yes. And I think he's probably going to get a lot that's, more than that's that. That's only logical. Yeah, the, he's got a seven-year deal for a reason, folks. He wasn't brought here just to win games this season. I think a lot of people misjudged, myself included, how young we were going to be at the skill and position. La- and lack of depth at yeah. that. Yeah. And we didn't expect to have 11 guys hurt in the secondary going into Liberty. We didn't expect to be down both of our returning starting running backs for the first really three weeks of this season. These are huge issues for a team that wants to run the styles that they want, both on offense and defense. If you would have told me that Terrence Williams and Jermichael Hasty were going to be out and that we would be starting four brand new cornerbacks uh, and safeties in week one and most of week two, I don't know if I pick us to win, beat UTSA. I probably still pick us to beat Liberty because it's Liberty. But I don't know if I pick us. I think I pick us to go one and two. And we're 0 and 3. And hopefully we can win a couple of games. I mean, we're not Kansas bad. Don't worry about Kansas. They got their butt kicked by Ohio yesterday on the road. We're, we're, we're going to beat Kansas. God willing, we beat if, Kansas. If we lose that game, you're coming back on that week. Yes, I, I promise. If we lose to Kansas, I will come here and apologize to all Jayhawk fans. I will apologize to the mothers, their fathers, their aunts and uncles, their grandparents, everybody you can imagine. Because Kansas is really, really bad. And I still think we have a chance to, unfortunately now, pull an upset over an Iowa State, a Texas Tech, even a Texas Ugh. there's still opportunities to win two, three. I, I don't know. Four might be a stretch, but two or three wins are still on the table. It is not completely off the shelf. This defense is getting better. Everybody is seeing that. The offense hopefully gets healthier. We start putting some things together 
this team is going to be better than it was in week one, than it was in week two, and we saw that, and they were better in week three. We're going to lose to Oklahoma. We're probably going to lose to West Virginia and Kansas State, and we're definitely going to lose to Oklahoma State on the road. We There's a 99% chance, I would say, that we start 0-7. And that's that, that's not great. That's unfortunate. Um, but there's still going to be improvements that we hopefully see in the last four to five weeks. And maybe we beat Texas. Maybe we upset TCU, which would have me very happy living and working in Fort Worth, Texas and working around way too many TCU fans and graduates. Uh, they, they would never hear the end of it. I for did me. that for about four months and had to move back. I couldn't stand it. Uh, yeah, I work uh, just north of downtown Fort Worth. Actually, we built a house down in Mansfield, Texas. So I'm outside of Fort Worth proper. Um, but uh, probably the company that I work for is a 33 to 40% TCU graduates. There's a lot of purple on Fridays. And there's me and one other Baylor grad. And she just graduated last year and really doesn't care about sports. So it's really just me against maybe 40 TCU grads. So it, it got a little... It got a little violent at times last year. Definitely after sixty-one fifty-eight, um, it it got a little abrasive at times. I worked in a I worked at a church for three months that was a mile off campus. So, <laughs> yeah, buddy, I couldn't st- couldn't stick there very long. But hey, Tim, this was yeah. fun. I appreciate it, man. I'm gonna let you go. Um, but this was good, man. We're gonna have you back. Thank you. I appreciate the time. Check out our website. Love to have everybody join us. Hopefully we'll have some good news with the 247 folks as well. Might be merging sites. I think everybody would get a kick out of that. Um, give us a shot. You can find me on Twitter at uh, TimWatkins04, Baylor Scout Tim, Tim Watkins. You can find us at BearsIllustrated.com. You can find us at uh, Baylor Scout or Bears Illustrated through Facebook, uh, through all of social media, we've got some kind of presence. Please give us a shot. Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute blast. Thanks, man. Thanks again to Tim Watkins for coming on the show this week. We had a really, really good time having that conversation. I want to remind you to email me at scottswingler at gmail.com, subject all caps, podcast, or contact us on Twitter at bear underscore podcast to be involved in the show. I also want to remind you that the sweet logo associated with the show was made by my friend Sean Scoobel over at Scoobel Designs. Look him up on Instagram at Scoobel, S-K-U-B-A-L Designs. If you message him through there and tell him that you heard about him through the Please Bear With Me podcast, he will give you 10% off your first order. So if you need a logo for a t-shirt, for a business card, for anything... Sean is happy to work to make your dreams come to life at a decent price, and he's the best. I want to thank Jeremy Wilson. I want to thank Travis Thompson for all the music you heard on today's show. I'm Scotty Swingler, and we will talk next week on the Please Bear With Me podcast. Please bear with me.